Good afternoon. My name is Brett McGarry. The enthusiasm with which Mr. Big Voice introduces us. We need to mimic that when we come out of the shoot. Mr. Big Voice really does set us up for success and or failure, depending on how you look at it. So you want to, so for example, if I were to say later on this afternoon, we have more tickets to give away for World of Wheels. Should I, instead of saying World of Wheels, should I say something like, World of Wheels. Exactly. I like how you're thinking. Okay. Looking forward to the afternoon. Is it Wednesday or Thursday today? It is Wednesday. It is Wednesday. Okay, good. Because I put the old uh, garbage and recycling bins out at the end of the driveway. I won't look foolish that way. That'll mean everybody else did it as well, I suspect. <laughs> that is, it is an odd feeling when you do it and it's the wrong day. Because oh, yeah. you know- everybody's driving past it going, what are you- who's the moron? That- oh, Mackling doesn't know what day it is again. <laughs> <laughs> Later on in the program, we're going, to, we're going to visit with Mitch Rossett from our friends at Global Sports. Uh, Mitch was out west during that terrible snowstorm last week ventured out to Russell, Manitoba to cover a story, a really cool story. John Montgomery and Theo Fleury are the two most prominent uh, sports citizens of the town of Russell. And they are being joined on their welcome to Russell sign by a very special athlete. And Mitch is going to share that story with us just after three o'clock this afternoon. Really looking forward to sharing that with you. I think it's a cool story that needed to be shared uh, on our program this afternoon. Yeah, that's really cool. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, John Montgomery, by the way, uh, he's the, the host of The Amazing Race Canada. So he's that managed to transition into television as well. One mm-hmm. of my favorite shows. Great guy. And uh, well, he was... What was his famous moment other than, of course, winning at the Olympics? Did, well, he, did, he, did he grab a pitcher or did yes. someone hand him a pitcher? Well, it, it doesn't really matter. The bottom line is he walked through the village of Whistler with a pitcher of beer distributing uh, drinks <laughs> here and there along the way as he made his way from the podium medal ceremony to visit with the, with the folks over at CBC. So it was uh, pretty cool to see. Yeah, that's a, John's a great guy. Very prairie thing to do. Super relaxed and laid back. You could just see the Manitoba all over his face. Well, in in fact, I did an event with him out in Minnedosa a couple of years ago. I emceed the sportsman dinner, and he was the featured speaker. Neat. And we auctioned off an opportunity basically to drink out of a pitcher of beer with John. <laughs> and I think we got 180 bucks. Really? For the honor. Nice. <laughs> it was fantastic. <laughs> I got That's a picture great. of that. I'll have to share that with you. It's pretty cool. But to kick things off, we're going to go further west than Russell. We're going to Jasper. Alberta, And I mentioned and I asked you the question, Brett, because whether you're a parent or not, I think you have a take on this. And if you ask most parents and your remembrances of school, uh, your biggest concerns regarding your school age children, one of the most common responses would be bullying. I think for many, though, that word has become diluted over the years, Brett, because bullying extends to so many different things now, right? It's not just, I'm going to beat you up, meet me at the monkey bars at four. (laughs) Uh, You used to be able to turn that stuff off, right? Mm -hmm. You could hide, you could... You know, you could face it head on, and that would be the end of it, typically. Yeah. You just meet at the monkey bars at four, uh, take your dukes or spread some around, however it worked out for you, and then you moved on, typically. But in this day and age, the bullying takes all sorts of different forms. It can be delivered not only in a note in your locker, but 
it follows you home on social media, uh, text message, you name it. If somebody doesn't like you and they want to share that knowledge with you and others, they can do so in many different ways. I can't imagine the what it would be like to have to deal with that. I, I remember there was a time in junior high where I had one student in particular who had it out for me, and it was a, there was a couple of months that were really bad. But like you said, my escape was the end of the day, and I then I got to go home and not have, I had a few hours reprieve. I didn't have to worry about it again until the next day. So if that would have followed me home, God. That would be awful. I think it would be very tough. Now, others with the bullying conversation take the stance, oh, we've all been down that road. Mm-hmm. Bullying's commonplace. We all dealt with it at some point in time. Does that dilute the conversation about what kids are dealing with today? Oh, I don't, I hope not. I don't think so. I don't think it should dilute the conversation um, because... So, like, are you, do you mean that? Well, I I was bullying, so you should be able to suck it up. Like, is that what you what you mean? I think that's the stance of a lot of people. I okay. went through that. I was bullied. Uh, everybody has to go through that, almost like it's a rite of passage. Okay. And well, I think that dilutes the conversation of what kids are dealing with these days as well, and how extensive it can be. And to you know, the end of list of people and the varying responses to the question and the conversation surrounding bullying. Uh, for other people, it's all too real a situation. A father in Jasper, Alberta, is facing charges after he says he was confronting elementary school children who were bullying his daughter. He says his little girl has been harassed by other kids for years and claims now she's being told by them online to kill herself. Chris Beebe told 630 Ched's Ryan Jesperson that after going to the school and complaining, he just felt his daughter was not getting any help. So, well, this has been ongoing since, you know, kindergarten. It's been well documented through the school years by my family and other families in the same school, same group of kids, always, you know, involved in the bullying. Um, you know, I thought I was doing all the right things by going to the school. They assured me it would be dealt with. I've met with teachers, principals. Um, for example, even uh, Friday, we had a meeting at lunchtime with the vice principal of the school um, about bullying itself because my daughter had come home crying that day at lunch. Chris, we know that bullying occurs in many different ways, shapes, and forms. Has this mostly been online? Has this been in person? Um, It's been in person, and recently I was made aware of what was happening on the Internet. Um, These kids that have been targeting my child on an Instagram chat room um, invited me to the group so that I could see exactly what was going on and what was being said to my daughter. And, you know, I mean, without getting into too much detail, like identifying these alleged bullies, et cetera, what sort of stuff is it? Is it threats to your daughter's safety? Is it mean comments about her appearance? I mean, what what form is it taking? Um, it's taking form that they're, you know, openly, you know, telling her to commit suicide or, you know, naming the groups, go kill yourself, or they just start swearing at her, telling her to go kill herself, or they change the group name to, you know, your mother's a slut or, you know, things like that. And your daughter's included in this chat group? 
Uh, my daughter was included in this chat group. Yeah, um, I, you know, I, I took multiple screenshots. You know, I, I contacted the school and and did what I could. This happened on Friday night, right after my meeting at lunch with the principal about bullying. So this has been an ongoing trend, and it's just what getting worse and worse and worse, as far as you can tell. Yeah, it, and it is. It's. I mean, some of these kids are just right out of control. You know, I mean, it, it's. I've even had one of the parents of the offending parties asking the police when they were going to get the screenshots of what was going on in the chat room. And the officer told the lady, well, I'm sure you can get them off your son's phone. So the impression I'm getting is that you don't believe that school administration or the RCMP are taking this seriously. No, they. what they did was they held an assembly this week. Uh, to spread awareness about potential consequences and things like that. Um, but for whatever reason, uh, nobody else is facing consequences other than myself. So what you'd like to see specifically is young people, the alleged perpetrators, held accountable. You don't just want an assembly. You want action. Well, exactly. I mean, you know, like this, the, the one officer shook my daughter's hand and basically told her that she would be safe and then sent her back into class with the same kids. Okay, so you touched on the fact that there's been no police action except for in your direction. I let our listeners know that you're facing criminal charges, assault and uttering threats. What happened at the arena a little while ago? Well, basically what happened is Saturday morning, I kind of realized what the symbols KYS stood for, which they stand for kill yourself. Um, and, you know, I was sitting in my vehicle and I was just like, okay, like enough is enough here. And so I went over to the arena. I had a conversation with one of the kids. I went over, had a conversation with the other kid and, you know, gave him a, a verbal scolding is what I did. Um, the charges stemmed because I touched the kid's jacket. What do you mean you touched is like you grabbed him and you shook him a little bit? Well, no, I just, like, I had put my arm around him, say, oh, you're the other kid that I want to talk to, and kind of walked him through a door. We walked into another room. Um, you know, we weren't alone. There was other people in there. I had him standing in front of me and just asked him if he thought it was funny to, you know, tell people to kill themselves and tell a little girl to kill herself and asked him if he thought that it was funny to tell her to perform sexual acts on, you know, other people and say the things that he was saying about her family and then at the end i kind of you know grabbed the collar of his jacket and was just like you know don't make me come back here and th those were the words that were repeated i would imagine as part of this police investigation don't make me come back here that's the uttering threats yes so i would imagine i don't know i've had no information at all like i have no idea what's happening so how did it go with these kids and the intervention oh they were terrified like, it probably would have ended right there. The, and the one kid that I did talk to, his family came to my house two hours later. The entire family came to my house, personally apologized to me, my wife, my child. We all shook hands, and everybody went on their merry way. Were Some you a little kids, concerned that, that the other dad was going to show up and interact with you based on the fact that you interacted with his son? Yeah, well, and that's what I was told by the police, that this father might come and try to fight me. And that's how it was left. <laughs>
So where are you? Where's your head at now? I mean, in retrospect, do you regret going and 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 kind of you know? I mean, as I understand it, roughing up elementary school aged boys, or do you stand by it? I mean, how are you approaching these charges? Well, you know what? I'm approaching the charges. You know, basically as they come. Like I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm going to fight them. You know, I went. At what point can you stand up for your child and protect your child? Like I have a, I have a 12 year old daughter now that is afraid to go to sleep at night. I've had to stay in a room every night since this happened. I've been having to, you know, build confidence for her. You know, she's tough. She wants to go to school, and so I let that happen. But I mean, some of these kids are still walking by her, smirking in her face. Gosh. Because there's no consequence, so and they she, know that now. Is she at school now today? She is at school today. She's adamant on going to school. That is the voice of Chris Beebe in conversation with our sister station in Edmonton, 630 Ched, Ryan Jesperson. This story caught my attention this morning. I listened to the audio. I thought Chris Beebe articulated his story, his daughter's story, story very well. I wanted to share it with you. And now I want some feedback. Brett and I would love to hear your take on this. Have you ever been to the point where you've wanted to step in like this, as Chris did? Did he cross the line? Is it something that you've done? How do you manage a situation when you feel as though you've gone down all the proper channels, through the proper channels, spoken to the people who are supposed to make things better, and still your daughter is involved in a situation where she's being told to kill herself. Very extreme form of bullying. 780-6868. That is the number to call. It is the number to text. We already have a few text messages on this. We would love to hear your voice on this subject. 204-780-6868. How do you deal with bullying as a parent? Your forecast coming up next. 122. I know from time to time we get into these talk topics and we don't block out enough time for them. We're trying to amal- or allocate our resources in terms of talking and uh, interacting with you appropriately. We've left the program open straight through until 2 o'clock for this discussion, Brett. And based on the interaction and the feedback we're getting already, uh, I think we did the right thing on this one. Dad, the headline from 630 Ched, our affiliate in Edmonton, Dad and Jasper charged after confronting bullies. This is a father who had enough. His daughter being harassed, his little girl being harassed by other kids for years, claims she is being told by these kids online now to kill herself. He finally went and confronted some of these kids at an event and scolded them. And at one point he grabbed a kid by the collar of his jacket and said, don't make me come back here. And he has now been charged with assault and uttering threats. So we want to know what you think. Let's go to the phones at 204-780-6868, starting with Ryan. Ryan, hello there. Hello. What do you think? Uh, I think I think you did the right thing. But, I, you know, the teachers and stuff should have done something ahead of time. I had my uh, younger boy get bullied out through elementary. And it was the same thing where he was getting bullied, and I went to the principal and and had these meetings, and nothing really got done throughout the years. And I finally just got sick of it. And I uh, confronted the kid myself, and he took me to his mom and dad, and I told his dad, this is what your kid's doing to my kid. and nothing happens about it, I'm going to call the police. I'm going to end it. So. That was the end of it, Ryan? 
that was the end of it. It ended right there. There was no more bullying. That kid actually got kicked out of the school because then the father of that bully went to the school and we figured things out. Wouldn't it have been a lot easier if you maybe had a face-to-face with this dad in the first place? Do you think maybe the school should facilitate that? Don't you think that that has a better chance of working if all the cards are out on the table with all the parties involved earlier in the process versus it coming to the situation and to the head that it did with your son? I did. So I, I went to the principal, and the principal had, had meetings with the bully's parents. And so after that meeting, my son still got bullied from that same child. And then I went back to the, the, the school and said, this is still what's going on, and they'll take care of it. And and I just lost faith in it because my son will come home every day uh, crying and depressed and saying he doesn't want to go to school no more, he doesn't feel safe. And we live in a good area where it shouldn't happen. I know bullying happens everywhere because I've been bullied when I was younger as well. But as I got sick of it. So as a father, I want to protect my children. So I had to go. I had to do it myself. Thank you, Ryan. We appreciate you sharing that story. Sorry your son went through that, but I commend you for going to the parents. I think that could really short-circuit a lot of this stuff. If your kid was picking on my kid... And we sit down man to man or, you know, as uh, as uh, four parents and sit down and, and talk about what's going on. I think the chances of it getting resolved versus the intermediation of the quote unquote school authorities, I think that would have a way stronger effect. It's just an opinion I have. Well, and you would hope that there would be uh, enough common sense on both sides of that table to alleviate the situation. But I think a lot of times it's the parents are just as bad as the, the kids in question. Takes away the anonymity though. Yeah. Right. Anyway, we've got uh, jam phone lines. Please don't go anywhere. Kevin, Adam, Amanda, Patrick, we will get to your calls. We have to break for news at the bottom of the hour. Brett's going to go and give us the uh, latest in global news. And then we will come back to your texts and your conversation right here. It's Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry on 680 CJOB. 133 on this Wednesday afternoon. We're talking about bullying after a story out of Banff. Pardon me, Banff, Jasper, Alberta, on our sister station, 630 Ched, came to light an interview that we p- played most of earlier in the hour. Chris Beebe, his dad, uh, the dad of the young woman, well, the girl, let's call her what she is, the girl that was being bullied. He... Uh, was at a hockey arena, saw one of the two kids that he suspected of being a part of this situation, confronted the child, and now he's facing charges. And we wanted to ask you what you thought about how BB approached this. Have you felt frustration like this? Have you been down this road? We're getting inundated with text messages and phone calls. We're coming to the phones momentarily. But Brett, not everybody thinks that this father did the right thing. And the incident in question that got this man arrested and charged with assault and uttering threats, he grabbed the collar of this child's jacket, of this boy's jacket, and said, don't make me come back here. Calvin texted us at 204-780-6868 saying, are you guys kidding? This guy is a criminal. You cannot take the law into your own hands. He didn't go to the police. He didn't go to the kids' parents. He went to the rink to confront the kids. If you make him a hero, he is not. If everyone did this, there could be serious consequences. What if someone serious or seriously hurts someone? What if someone commits suicide? What if it was his daughter? This is not good. Stop him. Throw the book at him. Thank you, Calvin. 
And Kevin has been waiting very patiently on the line. Kevin, what's your take on this story and this situation? Well, good afternoon, gentlemen, and thank you for everything that you guys do there, of course. Um, first off, nah, the guy shouldn't have grabbed uh, the kid. Number two, um, if the police or the RCMP weren't doing anything about it, he should have went to the, the, the court system and say, hey, look, this is what's going on. Nothing's getting done, but uh, he didn't do that either. So, um, you know, him taking this into his own hands, there's, uh, it, it's totally wrong. Number two, yeah, take it to the courts. Let him hear what's going on. And especially these kids are, what, I was told grade five, grade six, like 11, 12 years old. The other thing, too, is you want to know something? Sit these kids down in the school. This is up to the school to be handling them during the day because they're supposed to be the parental vision for our children at school. Sit them down in a class and put on these victim impact statements on people that have had their children commit suicide and the impact that it's had on their family and their society. And if they've played sports with their, with other children and make them realize this is not proper. Number two, with the parents letting kids have phones like that at that age, doing that stuff, why aren't they going through these phones and correcting their children? You know, it's not just up to one person to say, Hey, look, um, stop this you got to go through the right channels and the right things to do it and these are some of the things that should be brought up in our schools here in Canada not only in Canada but in the states also and for these children to understand look when you're telling us telling somebody to kill somebody to kill yourself the impact on the family and the impact around the whole uh, realm of this child the effects of it and the effects and cause that's that's taking place and how much it's detrimental to stop this there at school. Kevin, thanks very much. Appreciate the call. Uh, Mr. Beebe said that he had spoken to the school several times. It's been happening for years. In fact, he referenced a conference and a presentation that had been done at the school. If it wasn't the same day, it was within days of this incident on bullying and anti-bullying conversations. So those things are taking place. Uh, Once again, how effective they are, we don't really know. Well, there was another text here, and I'm just paraphrasing at this point, and I'll see if I can find it. I just very quickly mentioned that, because we said, how do you deal with bullying? And someone texted us at 204-780-6868 that says, you can't, here it is, you can't, deal with bullying. Once it's there, you have to remove your child from the situation. No amount of meeting with the authorities will ever resolve the bullying. It's a scam. Amanda has been waiting for 13 minutes. We appreciate your patience and everyone else online, and we will get to you. We're starting with Amanda. Thank you for your patience, Amanda. What do you think? Hi. Um, It's kind of funny because the first two callers touched on everything I was going to (laughs) say. Um, I, too, had my daughter, uh, when she was in school, had the same issue. Um, Unfortunately, I'm one of the parents who doesn't allow her child to have cell phones or access to Facebook until she was 16. Um, And the second she got on Facebook, unfortunately, um, other children that were already on there were posting things on her page like, why don't you take out your eyeballs with a melon baller? Like, just ridiculous, absolutely horrid things that these kids say to each other. Us, the grown generation that we are now, we don't understand because we weren't, uh, the type of bullying that we went through when we were kids is nothing compared to what these poor kids go through. They have social media. They have everything going on at school with their texting, with their cell phones. They have kids pushing each other in the hallways. And I'm sorry to say it, but the schools, as much as we like to believe that they're there for our children, they are not because... 
I actually live right in front of, uh, literally in front of, of, I think it's a middle school, and their students are constantly out in the front yards, all parading around during their lunch hour. And I was homesick one day, and I watched one little boy. He was being picked on by four other students. The people that were outside representing the school who were supposed to be watching these kids stood on the corner of the street, watched it happen, and did nothing. I had to come storming out of my house and yell at these kids to leave this boy alone for them to back off. So unfortunately, the the comment that was made that, you know, you have to remove your child from the situation because it doesn't resolve itself. I hate to say it, but it is correct. It's an inconvenience for the parents and the children and the schools. I understand that. But unfortunately, once bullying starts, this day and age, there is no way to stop it. And it's very unfortunate. And I do agree with the second caller that, yes, they do have, you know, bullying impact days and they'll watch this video. But what they should do is they should have the parents come in of children who were unfortunately lost to certain things like this. Have them explain to these kids what an impact they're having on a whole community, not just one little child. And I don't agree with the way he dealt with the situation. He should not have approached the child. Everybody knows common sense. Don't go near a child. It's going to backfire. I understand how upset you are, but you need to remove your child from the situation, not try to remove the other children from your child's situation. It doesn't work. All right, Amanda, thank you for the call. And actually, your story about watching the four kids uh, bully another child, that reminds that takes me back to, I want to say I was about 18, 19. I was in the backyard of my parents' place. We lived down the street from John Gunn Junior High in Transcona. And... I could hear this commotion down the lane, and I looked, and there was one girl, who I guess I want to say was probably about 14, who was being followed, not chased and not being physically berated, but by, she was being bullied by, like, 50 students who were just following her home. And she, was, she walked by my house, and she was crying, and I went out there, and I just kind of stood with her and looked at them all and said, I don't know who you guys are, but get lost. And then I escorted her home. Good for you. And uh, made sure that she got home safe. I don't know what their intentions were, but they were... So, yeah, that that's just that... Just, I'm not going anywhere with that. It just reminded me of that. And uh, yeah, sometimes, I guess, the schools can't help out with everything. The community at large has to be involved in this. And that's why I feel so strongly that earlier in this process, if the parents of the two kids involved were at a kitchen table or at a lunch table or just even in an office sitting down, uh, there might be a better chance to fix this. I know that there are some bullies whose parents are bullies themselves, and so that's not necessarily going to work. Uh, I, I feel like the uh, the schools are overwhelmed by this and their hands are tied uh, in terms of liability and different things. Uh, as much as they'd like to, to help, I think sometimes uh, there are restrictions that don't allow them to do that. Patrick is at 204-780-6868. Patrick, thank you for your patience as well. What do you think about this? Well, I, you know, I, I kind of agree with the first two callers in that he he may not have, you know, gone to touch the kid. That, you know, that, that'll push boundaries. But I think the, the general and overall feel that I'm getting from this, and, and it's coming into fruition so easily and so quickly with me, is that our kids today are becoming so desensitized to actions and the consequences of their actions. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't think that these kids really truly understand the ramifications of someone not being on this earth anymore because of what they said or did. 
and and the, you know the overall loss that it, it would bring to the family and, and so on and so forth and I think that a lot of it has to do with the desensitization of youth I a quick story for you when I was really young I got caught stealing with two of my friends. My father found out. He called the cops. The cops came to my house, put me in handcuffs, took me to the little police station in the town that we we lived in. And my father and the cop on duty went for coffee for two hours. I have never stolen a thing since because I came to the ramifications when the bars closed and that cell got locked. I realized then and there what my life could be like if I continue down that road. And I don't think these kids understand that. Patrick, I think you bring out an, a point that maybe gets lost. We see it every single day in our line of work, uh, keyboard warriors, people call them, that feel very secure behind the safety of their computer, their texting machine, their communication device to say whatever comes to their mind without a filter. And if we're doing this as adults in terms of communicating about politics, sports, you name it, you just go on Twitter on any night when the Jets are playing and these are the fans, quote unquote, of the same team and how they can get down each other's throats and the text messages that we get here at 680 CJOB about politics. If adults are doing that about things like politics and sports, what do you think kids are capable when they feel as though they're anonymous and they've got that safety of that digital network well, and, between them and the person that they're assaulting? And and the strength, uh, you know, that they feel in in uh, uh, I'm going to get the name wrong for this video game, but there's a, there's a freewheeling video game out there that they play all the time, and they can go around doing whatever they want. Grand it, Theft it's Auto. Too much of a social norm. Sorry, guys. No, Patrick, it's a great call. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Patrick. We appreciate your feedback. And once again, your patience. And as well, to Nate, your patience. You've been now waiting 19 minutes, so we are not going to make you wait any longer. What do you have to say, Nate? A little bit of an alternate uh, viewpoint, gentlemen. Uh, that young lady can uh, should thank her lucky star. She's got a, a father like she's got. Uh, he took the risk. Uh, he knew that uh, somebody would blow the whistle, whether it was the other parent or the for the children uh, phoning the police in that local jurisdiction. And uh, he basically solved the problem. Now, he faces charges. Uh, These are very serious charges. And I think he should probably have a conversation with the local Crown Prosecutor. And it will go something like this because I've had a similar circumstance. Uh, I intend on following through. I will represent myself. I will inform uh, for the record so that the names of, of all the, the children in this case and the parents uh, go on the record, uh, and I will take the consequences. At that point, within a couple of weeks, the Crown will uh, uh, dispose of the charges. You think the Crown will drop the charges? I have no doubt. Uh, especially if, uh, now, the Crown or the local police jurisdiction may say, let's force this guy to get a lawyer, pay a five or $6,000 retainer, uh, and bleed him out a little bit, hurt him bad. But in terms of what this gentleman did for his daughter, uh, there's no replacement. You know, is, is that holding a guy by the shirt tail uh, or the collar versus that daughter potentially commit suicide or something, or somebody actually bullying her uh, in private moments and, and, and hurting her? What's the word? You know, neither is, is very good. Neither is acceptable by societal standards. But what's 
What's the worst one? And what he did was save the child, and he possibly saved the other children as well mm-hmm. because it appears the other parents got involved. It sounds as though the, the, the other parents were almost unaware based on the exchange between the parents and Mr. Beebe that he outlined in his discussion on 630 Ched, the parents, they came over, they were shaking hands after this all went down. This whole idea of uh, it takes a village to raise a child, that's never been more true than it is right now. Absolutely. And and, and it's disconnected villages because that of Instagram account is a disconnected village from the society this guy lives in and his daughter lives in and, and all of a sudden they're connected and all of a sudden uh, hell blows over and uh, we've got a little bit of a skirmish and I, and I think the the prosecutor and the police are obligated by law to press charges. Now, why was no charges pressed against, now of course the children are under 16, mm-hmm. uh, but why weren't they dealt with? That's another question uh, and, and that's, that's what boiled this guy, Mr. Beebe, over why nobody handled the situation. Perhaps there's too close a connection between the, the school division, the, the, uh, the superintendents, of the teachers, and, and, and the, the families in question. But those are separate matters to be resolved. But this guy did the right thing. No question in my mind. Nate, thank you very much for that. We appreciate it. We have to pause to update you on the weather forecast, and then we will come back. And we will uh, wrap up this discussion, at least uh, for this part of the show. He's Brett. I'm Greg. Brett McGarry, Greg Mackling, talking about bullying. Guy in Jasper named Chris Beebe. His daughter is in five, grade five, grade six, around that age group. She's getting bullied by some kids at school who are telling her to kill herself on social media. Text. He confronts some of these kids at a hockey rink. And he grabs one of them by the collar and says, don't make me come back here. He's since been charged with assault and uttering threats. Wanted to know your thoughts on this. Has he done the right thing or is he wrong? Got a lot of phone calls and an absolute avalanche of text messages. So we thank you for that. The first text that we got from this came in from Dave. who has, He says, I have a son with herbs palsy, meaning he has very little use of his right arm. In grades two and three, he was being bullied by a kid, so needless to say, I made many trips to the principal's office. No results there, so I took matters into my own hands and confronted the kid and his parent in the hallway and informed them it better stop. It did not. I told my son, just punch him in the face. This is hard for my son because he has a very gentle soul. The next trip to the office, I had words with the kid's dad. Turns out the kid was autistic. I told the father that wasn't good enough wasn't a good enough excuse for his son to be hitting mine. Anyways, my son finally got fed up with the situation. One day out in the school ground, my son retaliated and punched the kid in the face. That was the end of that problem. My son is disabled. I will always have his back, no matter his age. From Bob, the father can see in print on a screen, in quotation marks, go kill yourself or to perform some sort of indecent sexual act. He caught them red-handed. Their names are attached to the texts. Lord forbid it was my daughter. Yeah. I then that see that's what I I almost want like it's almost a good thing that I am not hmm. a parent because I don't know what I would do if I saw that. If I was a parent and somebody was harassing my child this way, and I this is why we're getting so many texts because it's brewing up so much passion amidst our listeners who maybe are parents or maybe just have friends who are parents. I don't know. 
But it just uh, the idea that even if my friends' kids were being hounded like this, it makes my blood boil. I think there's a tipping point coming here. Parents are frustrated with the lack of action in spite of all the rhetoric about bullying and all these different anti-bullying programs in the school. I'm not saying those are not working because we don't know if it's lessening the amount of bullying that's taking place. But I know that parents are frustrated with the length of time that it takes to resolve these situations, the formalities, the meetings and the reports and the this and the that, that it takes to get some results and to resolve a situation that maybe ultimately is not resolvable. But I have a little bit more faith, I guess, in human nature than that. But I think there is a tipping point coming. And I think we saw that in Jasper with this story. Parents are tired of the victims being re-victimized over and over again, and that the the bullies are being protected by these rules and by the fact that uh, they can't be named or that there's certain procedural things that need to be done in the school. I think parents, more parents are going to be taking action, but I think the first step, and I've said it twice already, there has to be interaction between the two sets of parents because uh, you want to talk about a disconnect Uh, You can get away with a lot of stuff. You can feel as though you can get away with just about anything if your parents don't know about it. As soon as your parents know, it ultimately changes a lot of behavior. And if not, you've got bigger problems. Global News coming up next on 680 CJOB. It's Brad McGarry with Greg Mackling on 680 CJOB. Uh, Before we move on to our next segment, just want to quickly thank... All of you who contributed to our conversation in the past hour about bullying, uh, just a recap, situation in Jasper, Alberta, where a father facing charges after he says he was confronting elementary school children who were bullying his daughter. They wanted, they were telling his daughter that she should kill herself. So eventually he saw them at a hockey arena and he grabbed one of them by the collar and told them, don't make me come back here. He's since been charged with assault. We wanted to know what you thought about it. And we just got uh, an endless ream of text messages. And uh, thank you for all of your feedback and for the calls. We had many people waiting on the line for up to 20 minutes. So thank you again. We appreciate the feedback and the conversation. We will read more of your text messages throughout the afternoon because some of them are incredibly powerful. They're personal stories and the great insight into the system insight into what's going on and insight to the challenges that parents are having and sticking up for their children because uh, that's our first instinct. But there is a system in place and you have to be polite about it at first, I think. But there comes a breaking point where when you ask for justice and you ask for intervention and it's not being delivered or executed, uh, there comes a time when uh, a tipping point when parents are going to say, you know what? The system's not working. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start taking this into my own hands. I'm not advocating for that, but I'll tell you what, it's pretty difficult to tell someone when their child is hurting uh, the way many of your children are and the system is not reacting. Guess what? If you don't want uh, overreaction by the parents, you better step up the way you're uh, dealing with this because I believe that we are at a tipping point where people are not going to take this anymore. Enough talk. We need more action. All right. Let's switch gears to our in-studio guest. Her name is Becky Quinn. Becky, welcome to 680 CJOB. So you are here to tell us a story about your daughter, uh, Ivy. Ivy, yep. She was was born very, very early and 
we talk about her as much as we can, trying to get people to buy some tickets. For the lottery. For the lottery, yeah. Like Boniface Hospital <laughs> Foundation. Well, I don't know, uh, Becky, you and I have met each other at least one other time, but yeah. are you a big Jets fan? My you husband watch, is. Okay, so the other night during yes. the broadcast, yeah. incredibly powerful story. Oh, Tyler yeah, we Myers. Bawling. Yeah, and I was too. Tyler Myers, the defenseman for the for the Jets, who's had been ravaged by injuries this year, and he would tell you and did say in the in the piece that was incredibly produced. I got to yeah. give a shout out to the TV folks over at TSN for doing this work. Sarah Lesky, consider her a, a colleague and, and an acquaintance. She did an incredible job on this. Telling this story, uh, Tyler Myers been mostly out of the lineup this year. And there was a revelation probably about five months ago, maybe a little bit less, that he was dealing with a personal family situation. Yeah. And of course... Fans being fans, there was all sorts of intimations, all sorts of insinuations about what might be going on. And then on Monday night when this piece aired, finally the public got their first answers as to what the Myers family, Michaela, Tyler's wife, and Tyler Myers, uh, their son Tristan was born early. It was an absolutely heroic job by the folks at oh, St. B yeah. to save his life. A traumatic situation for the for for Tyler and his wife Michaela. And when you see stories like that, Becky, you and I have been there. Yeah. We know the value of of having the NICU to me is like an insurance a gold plated insurance policy that you may not even realize that you have. Yeah. And the work that's done there for babies. 600 of them every year that come into this world either early or they have some sort of health concern. Uh, The moment they come into this world, it's very powerful uh, not only to hear those stories, but to live it. Right. It was, you know, like I said, I I didn't really know anyone that had uh, an experience with the NICU. Maybe I shouldn't say that when I hear of people that had twins, a lot of times they'd spend a couple days in the NICU. So I kind of heard that, but nothing kind of life or death. And different from Myers, right, they had a healthy pregnancy. She went with her mama bear gut that something was not right and went in and kind of fought for it. And I can't imagine how terrifying that was. We kind of knew that there was going to be a chance that something could happen. You may end up in the NICU. Your baby may end up coming early. So we were kind of prepped. It's still terrible and it's still really hard, but I felt like we had a little bit of, okay, this could happen to you. Why is that? Why did you know? Uh, I had something called placenta privia where my placenta was located in the wrong spot. So the issue was I could hemorrhage. So I was checked, I think, between uh, the weeks of about 23 weeks and 30 weeks when I had her. Uh, I think I had like five ultrasounds. So they kept checking to make sure, is the placenta moving? It never moved. So I was told that 36 weeks we'll do a, a section, you know, everything will be fine. I remember my doctors called me at 28 weeks saying, you're at 28 weeks, this is perfect, the baby will live, everything will be fine. Had a slight bleed um, just at 30 weeks, so I went into the hospital and it was like nothing. I, like I said before, I almost didn't go. And my mom was like, do not be an idiot, go in. And I went in, they gave me the steroid shots. Three days later, I massively hemorrhaged and... I remember my doctor saying, if you bleed, it's going to be, it's not like a little bleed, like it's going to be blood everywhere. And he was right. And I called 911 and ambulance rushed me to the hospital. My husband was working downtown at the time. So he met us there and the doctor said, you know, we're going to try to stop it. And 
the nurse kind of looked at me over his shoulder and kind of shook her head and was like, no, we're not there. This cannot be stopped and rushed into the operating room. And a couple minutes later, Ivy was born. What was it like? See, and I, 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 I it's going to bring you back through a painful, difficult memory, but you knew that there is a chance that mm-hmm. this might happen. Yeah. So what was it like when, even with that knowledge that this might happen, now it's happening, I'm bleeding. Yeah. What were you feeling at that point? I think you just kind of go into shock a bit. Like I remember sitting in the ambulance and it just happened to be my parents were from out of town. My my mom got there in time, so she was in the ambulance with me. And I just remember saying to the attendant, can you just check to make sure the baby's okay? And I'm going to get choked up. And he couldn't because in the uh, ambulance, they don't have... Um, like, Fetal monitor. Right. They can't check you. Right. So he said, and he said to me, my job is to take care of you. When we get to the hospital, they were, they will take care of the baby. And I thought, that is not good. Like, I need something. And I remember praying and saying, just give me something, God. Like, let me know that it's okay. And I felt a big kick. <laughs> and uh, and we got to the hospital and I said to the nurse, she was getting the monitor on me. And I said, you have to find a heartbeat. Like, I will, this will not be okay if you cannot find one. And she kind of laughed and she was like, oh, we'll find one, no problem. Put the monitor on and she was in zero distress. Uh, Like strong heartbeat, everything was fine. And my doctor did tell me that if I did hemorrhage, it wasn't going to be her life that was in jeopardy. It would be my life because it was a bleeding issue, right? You could bleed out very quickly. So I was always worried about her. Once I found out she was okay, I was like, we'll be in the hospital for a while, but we'll get through it. When you hear those words and just listening to you say it wouldn't be Ivy's life yeah. that was in danger, it would be yeah. your own. You use the term mama bear. Yeah. That term gets yeah. used in our yeah. <laughs> a fair yeah. amount and papa bear. Yeah. The instinct that kicks in then. Tell me about your state of mind when you realize, you know, you said, I realized that baby was okay. Yeah. Ivy was okay. What's your state of mind then? Is it me get better or just me stay well enough, long enough to have this baby? You know what? It was just you do what you got to do to make sure she's okay. And we didn't know she was a she at the time, so it was always an it. But <laughs> we, and that was like my husband, I finally got reunited with him at the hospital and it was just like, do what you got to do. Make sure that baby is okay. And, you know, they said everything will be fine. We're going to have a section. And I had lost quite a bit of blood. I was, uh, I didn't need a transfusion, thank goodness, but I was, it was close. And I remember not being scared. Like, I'm not, I'm not terrified of hospitals or needles or anything like that. But I, there's certain things that I don't like. And there's like tons of people right in this room because it's a hemorrhage and the baby's early. And I was, I didn't really care. Like, I just thought you do what you have to do, make sure this baby is out and safe. And I asked them, as soon as the baby comes out, can you just let me see it? And they were like, no, we just have to take them and we have to hook them up to a machine. And so we didn't hear a cry. We didn't get the, you know, baby on your chest. We didn't get any of that, which was really, really hard. But they let my husband go in and see her right away, which was nice. He came back with a picture on his cell phone of her and I thought she looked big, right? There's nothing to compare her to. No, no. How big was she? Uh, She was three pounds, five ounces. And how small did she get? Uh, She got down, she never got below three. Wow. Three was her lowest and yeah, she, I I think it was about five hours between the time she was born to the time when I got to finally see her and when you see them in this big incubator and they're just like these tiny little beings and yeah, it was totally shocking. That's when I freaked out. (laughs) After everything was said and done, I was out of surgery. That's when I had my total meltdown. When you look back on it, are you amazed at the composure that you managed to 
maintain yeah. and that focus and you know, it's a cliche, right, Brett? Uh, I do anything for my kids. I die for my yeah. kids. Yeah. You, I mean, you you faced that real proposition, not to over dramatize yeah. yeah, it, yeah. but that that was a a possibility yeah. uh, on a small percentage, yeah. but it was a real possibility, yeah. right? Yeah. And you just do it, like you said, you do what you have to do, and and your gut instincts kick in of right. I need to protect this this baby, and I will do whatever I need to. And but once everything was done. And we were sitting in my hospital room and we just started crying, you know, like it hits you like, holy crap, we're parents. We weren't supposed to be parents for another 10 weeks. And <laughs> we're parents now. Like nursery's nursery, not done. I was oh, going to no. say, is the nursery done No, at nursery this point? was not done. And which we knew she, if we had her early, she wouldn't be right. home for a while. Right. But you want to spend every waking moment yeah. in the hospital. So Sorry, you said 10 weeks? 10 was weeks. It? She was 10 weeks early. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So I think she ended up going home before her actual due yeah, date. Yeah, she right? went home a month before her due date. I was full, I was due October fourth. She came home September sixth. Isn't that something? Yeah. Why don't we take a pause here? We'll update you on the weather and then more of Becky's story. And uh, we gotta do something fun. You okay with doing something I'm, fun yeah, in the meantime, Becky? <laughs> 680 CJOB's fly away to you too. Your time to win is now. Kristen Rock. Kirsten Rock. Did it again, Greg. It's okay. I can't read. Kirsten. This is a bad week. Kirsten or Kirsten, depending it, on how you go. I think it's Kirsten. Kirsten Rock. Uh, you have five minutes to call 204-780-6868. Before I screw up any other details, here you go, Greg. You just you, There you go. You take the baton. CJOB, fly away to U2 in Vancouver. That's right, the 30th anniversary of the Joshua Tree album. It was earlier, late last week, the 30th anniversary. This tour celebrates one of the greatest rock and roll albums of all time. You can enter your name to win, like Kirsten did, at cjob.com. To win a trip for two to Vancouver, May 12th, for the sold-out U2 concert at BC Place Stadium. You can stay an extra night. We'll fly you there. We'll put you up in a hotel for two people. And then at 710 with Shadow, 1110 with Jeff, 210 or so with Greg and Brett, and 510 with Richard and Julie. Hear your name. Five minutes to call, 780-6868, and then you qualify for the trip. So we're really shrinking the pool, the number of people that are going to be eligible to win this trip. March 31st at 710, Shadow Davis will draw the ultimate winner who will get to fly away to Vancouver to see you too. Kirsten Rock, you have five minutes to call 204-780-6868. Your forecast up next. Becky Quinn joins us in studio. We're talking about the incredible work at the uh, NICU, the the NICU, the neonatal intensive care unit at the St. Boniface Hospital. Uh, Becky is here to share a story about her daughter, Ivy, who came into this world uh, eight weeks early? Ten weeks, oh, yeah. ten? Yeah, ten weeks. Ten, I have the notes right in front of me, <laughs> but you know, all the numbers jumbled together. She was 3.5 pounds when she was born, three pounds, five yeah. ounces. 3.5, I guess, would be three pounds, eight ounces. So she was three pounds, eight, uh, five ounces, 17 inches long, like a long yeah. baby, yeah, right? Yeah, she wasn't. They always said that she wasn't that small. Right. And I'm thinking, what, what are you talking to <laughs> In here? In terms of the length. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. At 30 weeks and, and three days after a, a hemorrhage that really went awry. Yeah. And uh, I can't even imagine that moment when you realized, oh boy, this just went from something I'm monitoring to something that got really serious. You walked us through that. And then talk about your time in the NICU and this idea of parenting through 
and into this incubator, right? Yeah. Because how many hours did you say it was? Four or five hours? It was five hours? hours from the time that she was born to the to time the, that I got to see her. Like, yeah. that's not, right? No. When you paint that romantic picture of your firstborn, yeah. it's the, your baby's yeah. here, you have a little girl. Yeah. <laughs> and they, right? And they put the baby on your yeah. chest and, and you you have a picture yeah. with dad and, like, and everything's wonderful. Cut the umbilical. None yeah. of that happened for you. We were sitting in recovery and all these mothers are coming in with their babies and you hear them crying. And I, I think, as, again, at that point, we were probably still in shock and we just sat there like... We were just like on cloud nine that we had a, we had a baby, and you know I had a, I had a friend that was supposed to be coming over. We had this like kind of pool in our backyard, like a you know not a real pool, but they were coming over. We were gonna just lounge around, and I texted her and I said, "Oh, I've got to cancel again. I just canceled the week before," and she was like, "Seriously?" So I just <laughs> I just texted her back a picture of Ivy, <laughs> and she was like, "That is not your baby." <laughs> and so then I was like, "This is funny." So then I started texting nice. like all my friends, and I would just send them a picture and another girlfriend who was due like. Like two months before me and she was like that is not yours shut up that is not your baby it and then she came and visited me in the hospital and you know she's like very pregnant like almost full term and she's just like this is not right like look at me and you already had your baby and <laughs> yeah so it was but it, it didn't go how it's supposed to go and you know one of my friends is pregnant right now and um you just say that there is no you don't make a plan because you can make this plan. You can have all these. This is how I want my birth to go. I don't want drugs or I want drugs or however you want it to be. Don't make a plan because it's not going to happen. <laughs> like, you know. How, how many birthing classes did you get to? Zero. We did zero birthing classes. <laughs> can you classes. imagine? No, we did I, none. And I think then, we made it to two. <laughs> oh, yeah, we didn't. We Like, we never really even talked about doing it. And then we were with the second one, with my second, we were supposed to have her via section, right? Plan section with her. And I went into labor like five days before my section. And I remember saying to the nurse, like, I have not been to a class. I don't know what to do. And she's like, don't worry about it. We'll get you through it. Isn't that yeah. just something yeah. else? And, you know, we say uh, Mother Nature takes over, yeah. but instinct and Mother Nature does. Yeah, it does. It really kicks in, yeah, right? Because figure it out. And like I said, not this nurse, like I was a high risk pregnancy with my second daughter, but the nurse, even in that situation was phenomenal. And she guided us through every step of the way. And I kept telling her how scared I was. <laughs> and She was like, no, you've got this. It'll be fine. But totally like you could not get two polar opposite births than the ones I had. So. Well, it's a story. It's heart wrenching at times, but uh, ultimately, it's a it's a thrilling and, yep. and happy ending, and uh, Ivy's thriving. She is wild, like you would not even believe this child. She's two and a half, and she thinks she's I think thirteen or fifteen or <laughs> twenty one or whatever that day. Keep her off the social medias. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Becky Quinn, thank you so much for joining us to Thanks tell the story. Do you want to give the lottery a quick plug? No, you know what? Uh, this is the type of thing that you're supporting, right, is to make sure that the NICU has all the best equipment, can take care of you at the drop of a hat, stbmegamillionchoices.ca to get your tickets. Uh, it goes uh, an incredibly long way, and Becky, you and I are living testament we to that. Are, well, yeah. more appropriately, Rossi, Ivy, Rossi and Alex, Ivy. and Brendan exactly. are living testaments yeah. to the incredible work done there. So thanks for sharing your story. Thank you. Global News coming up at 2.30 on 680 CJOB. Last Wednesday was International Women's Day, and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers were incredibly active in the community with something called Break the Silence on Violence Against Women. They did presentations at 
several high schools here in the province. Program ambassadors were Jamal Westerman and Jake Thomas. They led the Break the Silence on Violence Against Women presentations, and they did workshops. They reviewed various forms of violence against women and how men and boys can be allies for women and create safer communities for everyone. And Brett, it sort of ties into our discussion that we had in the first hour of the program with regards to bullying. We didn't get around to the idea of if you see something, say something. And if you're a bystander, uh, you are participating in that bullying by not standing up, either for the individual being bullied or going to a principal or teacher to let somebody know that, hey, this is going on and it needs to stop. And I think that uh, there's a big part of that that goes on in terms of this uh, breaking the silence on the violence against women. Conversations that we might be having that maybe are inappropriate or others might be. And actions by those that we consider friends. Jake Thomas is one of our friends and he is one of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. He joins us. Live on 680 CJOB. Jake, thank you so much uh, for joining us today. And uh, you are one of the ambassadors for this program. How long have you been the ambassador for this program? Uh, They brought back the program two years ago, and I was one of the original guys, myself, Ian Wild, uh, Matthias Goosen, and Matt Nichols. Then Jamal joined the program this year. Why important for you to be a part of this, Jake? Uh, It's just, you know, such a great cause. And, you know, at first I was a little hesitant because I was like, man, I don't know if I can present this well enough. But the Bombers did a great job with uh, giving us tons of resources. We have to go through a three-day training period uh, before we even step foot in a high school. So, uh, yeah, it's just a great cause to be with. And, you know, definitely when you go through the training, you learn it's a man's issue because, you know, so many men are committing this crime. So, uh, you know, we really need to get men involved. Is it important, uh, considering that you're a football player, to be involved in something like this and to be so vocal about it? Because, you know, in the NFL, it's almost a, it's almost a joke that, uh, that people make about the NFL just accepting domestic violence. So being a football player, how important is it to you for you to be out and be speaking out against it? I think it's it's great for football players because, you know, the perception of football players are all big and macho. So especially when we step into a school, um, we have a great platform that kids, you know, tend to listen to us. So, you know, if big football players are talking about this issue, it kind of opens their eyes. And, you know, the, the league itself and the CFL has done a great job with this uh, topic over the last few years. Now, every team during training camp has an hour long presentation about this stuff. So it's it's definitely popping more and more up. Can you give us some insight into the presentations that you're giving at these high schools, Jake? Yeah, so the uh, presentation itself is usually about 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, a lot of it at first is uh, just, you know, some cold, hard facts. Um, then, you know, we get into some personal stories. Then uh, the big part is, especially with high school kids, we just want to sh- show them how it starts on a continuum. It could be simple as, you know, catcalling or telling jokes. We're not saying the people that, you know, just catcall are eventually going to commit sexual assault. But, you know, we want to show them by stopping catcalling. Hopefully the sexual assault numbers will go down. Then we'll give them some examples of how to be more than a bystander. Then we'll run through a scenario and then we'll just get a lot of interaction from the crowd. And, uh, yeah, it usually works out quite well. Do you have any, is there anything sort of or a personal tie 
to this issue, Jake, that made you want to get involved? Uh, at the time, I when they first asked me, I didn't really know, but I actually had a family member who got sexually assaulted and didn't tell anyone for, you know, months. And uh, that's something you see, especially when the numbers come up. I think 95% of sexual assaults are never reported. So I saw her quality of life start to deteriorate, deteriorate over these months. You know, she was struggling with sleeping and just, you know, daily activities. Then she opened up to uh, a family member, not myself, but, you know, you could start seeing her quality of life coming back. And I'm the youngest of uh, four children, so I have six nieces and a wife. So, you know, when they asked me to do the program, I was like, you know, it's a great platform we have. And if I could just stop, you know, one person from getting affected by this, like I definitely should do it. You mentioned the fact that there's some interaction and back and forth and sharing of stories in the high school following. And as part of the presentation, Jake, do you find that the students after a little bit of time with you and your, and your teammates are willing to share some things that maybe otherwise wouldn't have gotten shared? Yeah, it's kind of different at every school. Some are very um, active and some aren't. It's great because we partnered up with Clinic, which is a program across Manitoba. So they always have uh, one of their members there with us in case Mm. it brings up any issues. So they can deal with it right there. But, yeah, usually the kids, uh, it's kind of like wildfire. Once one or two kids start saying stuff, you know, kids really get involved. Not so much opening up about uh, issues in front of everyone. Usually that comes after the presentation and we'll, you know, talk to them and then uh, show them, give them, uh, or not give them, we'll point them in the direction of the clinic employee there. But yeah, the kids are, you know, very receptive. Jake Thomas, a defensive tackle with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Uh, Joining us, I'm going to guess from New Brunswick, Jake. Yeah, you are correct. Right on. No. Uh, Just a guess on my part. And uh, Jake has been part of uh, an initiative by the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. It was highlighted on International Women's Day. It's called Break the Silence on Violence Against Women. They've been doing, uh, along with uh, Jamal Westerman, uh, Jake and Jamal have been out. And by the time May rolls around, the Bombers will have hosted 20 presentations and 18 workshops with high school students across the province, including schools in Thompson, Eli, Lorette, Porge La Prairie, and of course the city of Winnipeg, uh, representing 10,000 participating high school students since the program was launched in 2015. Jake, uh, you, you signed up to play football, but when you join the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, a prof- any professional sports team really, you become so much more than that. You become an ambassador for the community really. So how has that experience been for you as somebody who just wanted to play football, but now you're you're getting to do all of these different things, going to these high schools? Yeah, you know, uh, football definitely gives you a great platform to venture out to these things. You know, I think if I just had a normal job, I probably wouldn't be getting asked to go to high schools talking about these issues. But, you know, it's, it's great to have the opportunity. I definitely became better as a man going to do the uh, Break the Silence program. I'm also a part of an LGBTQ program with the Bombers. So it just, you know, gives you a lot of chance to experience stuff that you probably wouldn't have experienced otherwise.
Jake, I'm a lot older than you are, so if this has already been eradicated uh, from the football culture, please forgive me. But I want to ask you about, you mentioned your your work with the LGBTQ community, and of course, uh, this uh, work you're doing with uh, women's uh, violence and, and, and advocating and educating high school students on sexual assault. But for a long time, sports and athletes... Uh, at a very early age, there was some privilege there. There was uh, definitely a sense that, you, you know, being the big man or the big girl on campus, depending on which gender you were, uh, there came with that some respect, but that respect was sometimes abused. And there were a lot of stories of issues of athletes uh, taking advantage of their man, big man on campus status. Has that changed in your opinion and your view? I think in a way, you know, uh, you know, using the term big man on campus, I feel like you're kind of always under a microscope. So you always kind of have to carry yourself in a higher regard in that sense. But I, I know I remember being in university and we always say this to the kids because we'll usually meet with a sports team or a leadership group afterwards. You know, if one member of your team makes a mistake, you're always kind of put with that group. So I kind of felt always as an athlete, you kind of always had to be kind of thinking like, what am I doing right here? Is this something that could come back to me? Jake Thomas, defensive tackle with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Thank you so much for joining us today to talk about the Break the Silence on Violence Against Women presentations that are being done at high schools throughout Manitoba. And thanks for the work that you're doing with this program. Uh, well done to you, sir. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. Jake Thomas, Winnipeg Blue Bombers. 245 and 680 CJOB. We mentioned earlier that we would get to we would try to begin to sort through the many, many, many text messages that we received on our subject of bullying that we discussed in the first hour, and we will get to those after your forecast, which is up next. I like how you asked Jake Thomas about his role in the community and the fact that as an athlete, as a professional athlete, the, the Blue Bombers are held in high regard uh, for many people, and the fact that he takes time to make these presentations, I said, I think says a lot about his character. Yeah, you know, break the break the silence against. I mean, it was a it was a mouthful. I want to make sure I say it correctly. Break the silence against violence on women. These are the pro, these are the presentations that he has been doing with uh, Jamal Westerman as well from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And by the time May rolls around, they'll have done twenty presentations and eighteen workshops with high school students across the province and it, it was you, know, you could hear it as well in his voice saying look they they asked me to do this a couple of years ago but since then uh he's now he had a personal sort of tie to it and he's sort of under, it's it's helping him his words it's made me a better man when we played that audio from yesterday charles adler wrote read that story about will you marry my husband the text message that we got that was so powerful was makes me want to be a better husband. Yes. And sharing of these stories, these experiences, highlighting others' experiences can have a powerful effect. If it doesn't have an effect on you, hey, that's cool. It's not going to have an effect on everyone. But when you hear something like that, you hear Jake Thomas say, no, nah, you know what? I was, you know, essentially just doing that because I asked, 
And now I've had a personal experience with it that's made my experience within more powerful. I think you realize the power of just discussion, discussing a topic. But we were talking about er- earlier bullying and the fact we brought it up with Becky a little bit. We brought it up about the idea of keyboard warriors mm-hmm. who feel comfortable to say whatever they want, knowing that there is a length of fiber optic cable dividing us to computers, some sort of communication device, one on their end, one on ours. And during that conversation with Jake Thomas, we got one of those messages. And my blood's boiling right now. And I don't know whether or not we should read it on the air or ignore it. But it's a prime example of how people can feel compelled to say whatever the hell they want without any fear of ramification. And I think based on the fact that I just used a four-letter word on the air, suggests that we should read this. Should we name this person? What do you think? I'm going to, I'll, Michael. Michael likes to text us, text us all. Here's, his, here's what he said today in response to our chat with Jake Thomas of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers on the Break the Silence Against Violence Against Women seminars that he's doing in high schools. With women in full force in the workforce, and in many cases the breadwinner, I would have to see the statistics of domestic abuse. I would say maybe we are still perpetuating the stereotype of the poor little woman getting the raw deal in terms of domestic abuse. Your bomber guest obviously has no clue why he's even the spokesman. So, <clears throat> Michael, hey, I, I will say, I, there are, I'm sure, domestic abuse situations where it is women against men. That's not what we're talking about right now. That is another topic. We're talking about domestic violence against women. Break the silence against violence. Break the silence on violence against women. And, you know, if it's, it's as, as Jake was saying, violence against women is a men's issue. And he said it himself. This has made me a better man. So I don't know, Michael, why you would think... A, to quote, your bomber guest obviously has no idea why he's even the spokesman. Sorry, no clue why he's even the spokesman. If the conversation doesn't resonate with you, I get it. It's not going to resonate with everybody. But to take this absolute contrarian position on something that affects more people than we even know Jake Thomas used a statistic, and I'd have to check the tape, but I believe he said the belief is 90% of all sexual assault goes unreported. Let's pretend that number's half. Yeah. That's still a ton. The numbers are still staggering. And I'm not saying that to refute or to disclaim anything. I just don't understand why anyone 
would feel so compelled to be such a contrarian on such an issue. It baffles my mind. And this ties back to what we were talking about in our first hour. In our first hour, we had a conversation on bullying related to a story out of Jasper, Alberta, involving a father of a daughter in approximately grade five, grade six. He says she has been getting harassed for years by a couple of kids at school who are now texting her all the time, telling her to kill herself. He confronted these kids at a hockey arena, including grabbing one of them by the collar and saying to this kid, this boy, don't make me come back here. Well, that got him in trouble. He's been charged with assault and uttering threats. So we wanted to know what you thought about that. And the the subject of cyberbullying, we got so many text messages from parents. And the bullying, regardless of whether or not you were bullied as a kid, it's it's a different world now. And cyberbullying, social media, all this stuff that, that kids have to deal with, it's a different world. And one of the things is that they can sit from the 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 safety of their keyboard or the from behind a phone, and it gives them a level of anonymity. So that's why we felt it was important to read that text, because it's a prime example of someone who is sitting at a keyboard and thinks, ah, you know, just behind a keyboard, who cares? I can say whatever I want. Troll, troll, troll. I had a conversation on this air over a year ago, a discussion with Mark Mendelson who does work on behalf of Ben-Gurion University, which is in Israel. He does his work here in Canada. And being a Jewish person, I reached out to him to talk about a story. I think it was when Justin Trudeau went to one of the concentration camps in Europe. He went to Auschwitz. And I wanted someone's feelings on why it was important that our prime minister went to Auschwitz. And during that conversation, you would not believe the text message, the string of messages that flowed in. And I chose to read those messages, the ignorant, absolutely abhorrent messages. And you know what? The person on the other end of that text message had the nerve to say to me, Craig, why did you out me like that? I outed you like that because your take, your opinion, your comments were beyond ignorant. We open our phone lines, our text message lines to you every single day. We invite your commentary. We invite your opinion. We do it openly. But if you want to type things that don't make sense and that are ignorant, we will out you and we will share them with our listeners. And if that comes across as a little bit of bullying, I apologize. Global News at 3 o'clock coming up next on 680 CGOB. 308 on this Wednesday afternoon. Brett McGarry, Greg Mackling with you. We'll have uh, sports coming up at 325. News at the bottom of the hour. Traffic and weather together for the next, oh, I guess about four hours or so, right, Brett? Correct. Yeah, Julie, Richard standing by. They'll step in at four o'clock and get you home informed, safe, <laughs> informed, safe, informed and safe. Combining words there. Wanted to share with you a story that our friend and colleague at Global News, Global Sports, Mitch Rossett, joining us now. And uh, Mitch, uh, before we have a conversation about your the reason for your trip to Russell, glad to have you back in the city after your harrowing experience in western Manitoba. Last week, you became a pseudo-weather reporter for us. 
Yeah, I had to kind of figure out uh, snow instead of slap shots for a couple days. But uh, no, it all worked well. And uh, with this story, the reason for the trip, uh, just to meet this remarkable gentleman, uh, made it worth it just being stuck there for a couple days. So why don't you tell us a little bit about who this person is that you went down there to meet? Well, we went out to Russell to meet up with uh, Darren Borskavich. He seems to be kind of a bit of a, a local celebrity up in the Parkland region. The 41-year-old is a, uh, a well-accomplished Special Olympian. He's won more than 57 medals wow. in his three-decade-long career. 30 of those, by the way, are gold medals. So I think he's probably the, the most medal holder in Russell, let alone Manitoba. So uh, good for him. But the biggest competition of his entire life is actually coming up this month it's actually started yesterday he's uh, competing in austria in this first ever special olympics world winter games and to get there well he had to take up a new sport he only uh, started snowshoeing about four or five years ago and uh, his trip there is remarkable earning him a spot in not only the town's heart but also its sign russell recently added him to a big billboard outside uh, right along highway 16 welcoming visitors to town his picture is right up there darren's picture is right up there alongside a few other olympians you might have heard of these guys uh john montgomery ring a bell maybe theo flurry both mm -hmm. of them gold medalists uh right up there with uh darren borskavich so uh, a nice good story about uh inclusion and and nice to see how russell is just kind of it doesn't matter what sport you're playing and what kind of accomplishments you've done you're an olympian you're an olympian you're you're in your spot on the sign now, uh, Arthur the Bull used to be the most famous thing <laughs> in Ru Russell. That's the big thing in Russell, right? The monument, uh, what have you, outside of Russell. But, of course, Theron Fleury changed all that, and then John Montgomery really has put Russell in the spotlight. And uh, imagine that there was an effort from the community to make sure that Darren's picture got up on that billboard with the with Theron Fleury and with John Montgomery is a heartwarming story all on its own, Mitch. Yeah, and is actually a grade 10 student at uh, Major Pratt High School up in Russell that realized, hey, you know what? Darren's an Olympian. Why isn't he with the other Olympians? So he approached the uh, municipality, the councillors and the Reeve to ask kind of, how do we get Darren up there? Well, it turns out the Russell billboard is kind of a community effort. So to get somebody up there, you have to get X amount of signatures on a petition. And in no time, he got 87 signatures, the amount he needed. I think he got 50 in the first day alone, uh, making Darren a shoe in to get on the sign. So all this started by a grade 10 student in high school, just for the kindness of his heart. And of course, when uh, Darren's picture did go up on the sign in October, he said it was a pretty big deal in Russell. The entire town almost shut down. There was uh, <laughs> 200 people parked alongside the highway just to see the unveiling of the sign. So a proud moment for him and a proud moment for his mom as well too, Tina. Does he have all 57 medals on display? He does. He actually showed me and he remembers them all. I think he first started competing uh, back in the early 90s. Was it floor hockey and track and field? And if you ask him, he'll pull out that silver medal from the 92 games where he won in silver in, in, uh, in floor hockey. He'll show you the one that he won in Thompson and all that stuff. It's a big billboard that somebody created to hold all the medals. And he knows exactly where he won them all, exactly how he won them all, and what sport too. So uh, pretty impressive for that part. Mitch, it's totally mind-blowing the influence that athletes have 
within these smaller communities. Uh, obviously, it's not just within Manitoba. It's right across North America, maybe around the world. And to, to recognize all athletes of all abilities, of all accomplishments, this is a real step forward, I think, and a real message uh, to the rest of the planet about who our real heroes are. Oh, and it totally is. These athletes, especially when from a small town, I'm from a small town in uh, southern Manitoba, these athletes are looked at as role models. So John Montgomery looked up at Theo Fleury, and it uh, turns out Darren looked up at, uh, at John Montgomery when John returned with his uh, gold medal from the Vancouver Games in 2010 for his kind of homecoming victory parade. Uh, Darren remembers taking a picture with him. Darren remembers holding that medal and says that's what kind of drove him to, to make this his next goal to reach a World Winter game. So these people are really looked up towards, too, and it, it, there's no telling what, with Darren's picture now up on the sign, what kind of dreams he will spark and whose role model he'll be now that he's among those Olympians. Mitch, we'll let you run on that. When will the piece air on uh, Global News? What time can people turn in? I know we want them to turn in for the tune in for the entire broadcast, but if they want to tune in expressly for this. It'll uh, be at 6 o'clock. I'm not sure 100% time, but tune in at 6 o'clock, and it'll be there in the first few minutes of the of the newscast tonight on Global News. Mitch, you're such a team player. <laughs> Don't want to put your story out there first. We get it. We appreciate it. Hey, Mitch, thanks for telling these stories, and uh, let's keep in touch because uh, as much as we love to talk about the Jets and the Bombers, these small town community efforts uh, surrounding sport are uh, the some of the best feel-good stories that we can tell. Oh, and they truly are. They're always heartwarming. They're always motivating. And it, it brings a smile. I've been telling these stories now for a couple of years. And each time I meet someone, just their passion, their drive to get to where they are and, and reach these accomplishments makes me happy every time I get to tell them with our viewers and our listeners. Global Sports, Mitch Rossett joining us uh, from downtown on the other side of the tie line, as we call it. Uh, Mitch, thanks again for your time and thanks for your work, my friend. Thank you. 315 on 680 CJOB. Traffic and weather together next. The text messages continue to pour in regarding bullying and our story from Jasper. It's not ours. It's our sister station, 630 Chad, in Edmonton, their story that we've been sharing with you. We kicked off our program, and here we are two hours and 18 minutes later, Brett, and the text messages continue to flow in, including this one from a loyal listener named Avi. Avi says, I just want to take a minute to thank you both for standing up for what you believe in. Bullying is wrong. People think that they can sit behind a keyboard and type whatever they want, and there's no consequences. You are 100% right for outing that person and anyone else that has the gall to be so ignorant and rude, and it's disturbing and disgusting. Just want to thank you guys. I have the utmost respect for both of you, and I love listening to you. Thank you so much, Avi. Rick J. texted us uh, at about 1.30 133 to be exact. And he says, hi guys, my nephew was being bullied in grade four, crying and not wanting to go to school anymore. So my brother went through the proper channels without any solution. So he asked his son who the toughest kid was in the school and gave him 20 bucks to go tell the grade four bully to back off or else and end of story problem solved where the system didn't work. Interesting. Creating your own system. Sometimes you need to do that. This is from Chuck. Email the principal. Given the zero tolerance policy, I would allow 24 hours for investigation and resolution. If the issue is not resolved within the allotted time, I'd again inform the principal that I will be pulling my child from the school 
and hiring a private tutor at school board expense and provide a one-week time frame for resolution. If the bullying is still attending the school, I will have an attorney file in court to have the situation resolved as well as file a statement of claim for damages as well as ask the Department of Justice, I think that's an American reference, but we'll let it go, to initiate charges against the principal and school board for not allowing the law and allowing a child to be bullying. All the while, I would CC all correspondences with the chief of police, city councilor, mayor, and all media outlets in the area. People need to be held accountable when any child is threatened, abused, or bullied, especially those uh, who are charged with uh, the child safety and security. That being said, I would very much like to take these matters into my own hands. One more text before we have a look at traffic, weather, and sports. I was bullied in grade 7 for being overweight. It went on for a few weeks. I had enough, and I wasn't going to put up with it anymore. I challenged him in front of the whole school at lunchtime. He wouldn't fight me. He had about 15 of his friends standing in front of him, and they wouldn't let it happen. None of them would fight me, no matter what I said. At the end of the day, I had teachers coming up to see me shaking my hand. Thank you to everybody who texted us, and I know we're not going to have time to respond to all of them. I failed to thank Michael for one thing when I read his text message, and that was thanking him for highlighting why we continue and need to continue to talk about the sexual exploitation and sexual abuse, sexual violence against women. It's attitudes like his that highlight the need for our conversation. So thank you for that, Michael. 322 on 680 CJOB. Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling on 680 CJOB and Keith McCullough is here as well. And we'll get to Mr. McCullough in a moment. But before we do that, Greg, we've got some stuff to give away for the 43rd annual World of Wheels. World of Wheels. The World of Wheels. Now that's a little bit more of a modern interpretation of the World of Wheels that I grew up with, but I like it. It's not bad. It's pretty intense. Where did you I dig like that it. up? YouTube? Uh, uh, yeah, YouTube. That was from <laughs> Alabama or something like that nice. on a commercial for that. So uh, how's your question today? Did you stay up all night coming up with a question for today's trivia? No, I didn't. No? You, you, Greg, did, here, okay, <laughs> let me just quickly recap what happened yesterday. Yesterday's trivia question involved a crappy TV show there from was 19... no question! In, from 1983, because <laughs> the actor... Or so... The actor from said show was at World of Wheels in 1984. So the question was, what was the early 80s show about a guy in a blue glowy suit who drives a blue glowy car? And the first person who called knew the answer. It it was good. I just didn't think there was any way anybody would get that. So uh, who was the winner yesterday? Do you remember off the top of your head? It was uh, Greg Ostevsky, I believe. Of course it was a Greg. And he knew the show was called Auto Man. My name is Auto Man. All right. So he that followed got... up with a text message. He said it was a terrible show, oh, it by was the way. Awful. <laughs> yeah, that's why it was canceled so quickly. That got me thinking about other crappy TV shows from the early 1980s. All right. So here's today's question What was the name of the early 80s show about a guy who could change into animals? 204 780 6868. That's it? You're that's going it. with that? That's it. Okay. 
204-780-6868. The smartest guy I know, Keith McCullough, is in the studio with us. Do you have any idea what he's talking about? No idea. Did you know about Auto Man? Never heard of no, Auto Man. You, you were guy, not even close to The guy born. in a glowy suit with the sort of blue car looked like Tron. It was great. Great question. <laughs> The first, I, I cannot believe the first person got that right. Oh, yeah. Like, I think it hey, might be the first person brilliant. and literally the only person in Winnipeg. The phone the lines lit up like they're lit up right now at 780-6868. We don't even have to give out the phone number. People love World of Wheels, They man. certainly do. Hey, speaking of the World of Wheels and the wheels going around and around... Nice relationship. I'm doing my best. You will never not try to link two things together. <laughs> Thank you, Keith. That's, He's a master. That's, well, not always, but I do my best. This uh, contentious relationship yeah. between the federal government and the government of Manitoba seems to have ground to another level based on at least some allegations in a letter that was released by the government of Manitoba alleging some information some might interpret it as a threat from the federal government, although we're working to confirm the original information. I've completely diluted the story. Why don't I hand it over to you? Well, we're reaching what it is, Greg and Brad, is we're reaching a boiling point here between Manitoba, Brian Pallister, and the federal government in Ottawa. People have probably heard by now Manitoba, the last province left that hasn't signed on a health care deal with Ottawa for transfer money to come from Ottawa. At first, all the provinces were standing together and trying to talk tough and saying we want a better deal. And then one by one, they've all caved. And Manitoba is now sort of like a game of musical chairs where everyone else has sat down and we're left without anywhere to sit. The game is over. Yes. Right. And, and now it's a stare down between a staring contest between the federal health minister and the federal finance minister and Justin Trudeau and Brian Pallister here in Manitoba. Well, we've obtained a letter from a a senior civil servant in the Pallister government. And you could almost use the word extortion here because the allegation from the Pallister government is that the feds are threatening to yank funding for a $60 million project due to be built in Winnipeg that would help enhance our, you know, tech industry, aerospace industry. It's something called the National Research Council's Factory of the Future. It was announced uh, with quite a bit of fanfare a couple of years ago. And there's funding attached to this that is sort of set to expire soon if the feds don't agree to carry it over into the next fiscal year. So the allegation from the province is that Ottawa is threatening to pull this funding if we don't play ball and sign a health care deal. And then there's another allegation here that Ottawa is not going to sign a health care deal with us unless Brian Ballester also agrees to cave in and sign on to a national agreement on climate change, which he and Brad Wall from Saskatchewan, the premier there, are the only two provinces that refused to sign that agreement a couple of months ago. The rest of the premiers agreed to that. I think it was back in December. So Manitoba is now a holdout on the national climate change deal. We're the last holdout on this health care deal. We're battling with the federal government on this asylum seeker situation with people coming over our border uh, from Emerson. You just wonder how much stomach for a fight Premier Brian Pallister has and whether he wants to be, guys, kind of the real thorn in the side of the federal government, because that's a pretty big animal to be picking a fight with. And now Pallister is really going nose to nose 
with the folks in Ottawa here. How long can he hold out doing that? I've used the one man wolf pack reference and also extortion. We got a text as you were speaking, Keith. That's exactly the word at 7806868. Chris says that's the exact word. And then the other word, and we will tie it full circle to the beginning of our program and the constant theme, the word bullying came out of Chris's mouth. And that's the way it's going to feel to a lot of people if we can, in fact, connect the dots and figure out who sent this email, who sent this letter. And I know uh, Richard is working on speaking to the Premier this afternoon. Yeah, so we'll hear from the Premier. We'll hear from the Manitoba government side. And we have heard back in an email from Ottawa. It's the it's the, the Minister of Finance, Bill Morneau, federally, and his office that are negotiating with folks who work under Brian Pallister in terms of trying to hammer out this healthcare deal. And they've told us they'll send a statement at some point, the folks in Ottawa, the federal government on this. And and there's no sign that there's necessarily a drop dead deadline for us to reach this agreement on a healthcare deal. But I mean, how long can Manitoba go here without a deal to get transfer payments to help fund our healthcare system? Everyone else, every other province has caved Some may consider it stupid. Some may consider it admirable that Premier Brian Pallister is standing up this long for a better deal for Manitoba. But it certainly sounds like we're reaching a point where something's got to get done either way here. There's terms like escalating tensions, unacceptable, unnecessary friction in this letter. You know, it's all written in the, the political speak But it's kind of as confrontational as political speak gets in this letter. You can read more about it at cjob.com. Richard and Julie, who I guess are going to be in here in a few minutes to set up their show, going to have more coming up on the news as well. 680 CJOB's Keith McCullough. Thank you very much, sir. And we just got this text as well at 204-780-6868. Hey, the Fed's saying no health care if you don't sign the carbon deal. Is that not bullying, blackmail? What is being taught to our younger generation by Ottawa saying, if you don't get your way, you can be a bully to get it? Sad. Traffic and weather together. Oh, before, you know what? Hang on. Before we go to traffic and weather, I must congratulate Daryl Halepchuk, who knows the answer to today's question. What was the name of an early 80s show about a guy who could change into animals? It's called Manimal. Jonathan Chase. Master of the secrets that divide man from animal. Animal from man. Manimal. I love that Gina roar at yeah. the end there. That's great. Much like yesterday's Automan, which ran from December 83 to April 84, Manimal was also extremely short lived September 1983 to December of 1983. <laughs> That's not even a run, that's a jog. So, Daryl Halepchuk, congratulations. You're going to World of Wheels. And congrats for knowing the answer to today's question. Manimal. Traffic and weather together next. 350. Sunny afternoon. Keep it locked. Traffic and weather together. News, sports, entertainment. Yep. Business. Business. Richard Cluche and Julie Buckingham. All of those things. Things Ticking all into of the boxes. An amazing three hours of live radio. Wow. 
Is that complimentary? So enough impressive. For you? Yes. He's not used to you saying nice things. No, to her. not not really at all. Actually, Richard, Richard Cloutier is not with us right now. Uh, he's gonna. You'll you'll hear the steps coming bounding down the hall and the, the pitter patter. Let's get at her. Yeah. I like your shirt, by the way, too. It's Thank got you a very neat, much. Has a really neat pattern. Like uh, looks like a painting, sort of. This is conciliatory oh. Wednesday. <laughs> I was gonna say, uh, what is in this water? Is that really water? Yeah. No, it's oh, okay. all good. Just it's checking. All good. It's We're, not potato water. We realize that some of our verbiage. And our conversations over the last little while have been uh, construed perhaps as bullying. And, oh. and we had our eyes open to the world of bullying today from that story from our friends at 630 Chad in Edmonton. And we've resigned ourselves to the fact that you have uh, to be nice. That we have to be nice to you, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, Jeff Forche, break the tape. I need to keep this. <laughs> we realize that we're providing a bad example for our children. So. For as long as we can, we shall be. be let's, nice. take, let's go back to our childhood. The resurgence of the cassette. Yeah, what's it's, the deal with that? It's a big deal, and we'll have a story about that. So that kind of got us thinking about mixtapes. And so, like, if I if you were going to give me a mixtape with three songs on it, what would it be? <laughs> Don't go away, mad. Just go away. Oh, there I am, not being nice See, there again. There you go. Uh, you're just throwing this at me right now. I know. Now. What about off, you? Off the top of my head, yeah. no, no, no. Do, do the songs have to be from a specific era? Just well, like, like if I wanted that, my from that time when cassettes were the thing. Okay, I mean, fine. Uh, for me, it would be uh, "Gotta Get Away" by The Offspring. Okay. Scatman by Scatman John. And the Mortal Kombat song by the Immortals. You're dedicating all three of those songs wow. to Julie? Like if, if that was a an expression oh, of oh, your affection? I thought you yeah, sorry. Or was, lack thereof? No, it's a question. Am I making you a mixtape? Or no, just making just a mixtape mix for myself? But if you wanted to make me one, that would be okay, awesome. Okay, no, those, those would not be songs no. I would present on <laughs> a mixtape. I made Julie a mixtape. Oh, no. You made oh, me? Oh, God. And we're going to play that at... Uh, Four thirty-eight. That's gonna get awkward. <laughs> Did you really? Yeah, I made you a, a mixtape, right? Yeah, with all your favorite songs on it. Oh, I made a so mixtape as well. You made a mixtape for me. I mm-hmm. can't wait for this. Very nice. This will be great. Uh, I don't know. I was making it for you, but anyway. <laughs> hey, Richard. <laughs> Heather Steele and Loren. I might want to change a couple us. of mine. Richard, I have to ask you: Is the government of Canada? extorting or bullying the government of Manitoba? According to the Premier, and I just wrapped up an interview with him that will play just before 5 o'clock, that I use the word extortion. He did not use the word extortion. But he wouldn't paint it that way. But there is a showdown of sorts going on between the provincial government and Ottawa. We don't have much leverage in all this. And now the accusation is a massive aerospace deal that the federal government was going to fund it may get pulled as a result of this. This is a war, and we'll see who wins. We're hoping to be joined by Jim Carr, the senior Liberal MP, a little bit later on as well. We will see who takes their ball and goes home. Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham coming up on the news from 4 until 7. Greg Mackling. An interesting show today, to say the least. Uh, the feedback and the interaction with uh, listeners today was second to none. I want to thank everyone who took the time, whether we got an opportunity to read your text or not. We did read them. They just didn't make it to air. We uh, thank you uh, from the bottom of our hearts for interacting with us. Oh, take songs by tomorrow. What? Songs by oh, tomorrow. Okay. Okay. Bye, Julie. Okay. <laughs>
<laughs> bye, bye, Julie. Thank you. I think what Greg still here? Yeah, Greg was what he was trying to say <laughs> was thank you. Yeah. Uh, thank you. All right. Thank you, Brett. And thank you. Thank you, Greg. And thank you, Jeff Forte. And thank you to listening to Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB.